this morning. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalm, chapter number 91. Psalm chapter 91, and I want to talk about abiding in Christ this morning, abiding in Christ. And I hope that that makes more sense and you see where I'm coming from as we go through this message. Um, let me, I want to pray kind of before we start, because I want to read the entire chapter of, of 91. It's not very long, 16 verses long, but I want to read all of Psalm 91. And I want you to grab a hold of it, recognize that it's God speaking to you, and that if you can even a little bit, grab a hold of the power and the promise that's in it can literally change the way you live your life or at least the way you perceive your life. Uh, so let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise and honor for meeting with us today or for this worship service, Lord, that we have felt your presence already. We thank you for that tree, for your plan, for your foreknowledge, for your love and for your patience to be thinking ahead, preparing for us, even though you knew we were going to be rebellious. And God, as each one of us as human beings are searching for a place to dwell, searching for a place to live, not just in the physical sense, but in the mental sense, in, in our belief system, uh, God, you're there to provide a place. And we just pray that today, through the anointing of the Holy Ghost, you would speak this word in a way that every person can understand it, receive it, and be changed by it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I said in my prayer, when it comes to our physical body, every person looks for a place to live, right? We, we look for home. First of all, we find what town, what state we're going to go to. And then once we get into that state, we get into the town. And then we start looking at different neighborhoods. And then once we get into the neighborhood, we start looking at different houses, uh, what kind of house we want to, to determine where we're going to abide. It, it takes some forethought. It takes some uh, work on our part to figure out where, where we are going to abide. And so... Spiritually speaking and mentally speaking, we kind of have to make those same decisions. We don't have a tendency to think about it like that at times, but how many of you ever have a problem with a wandering mind? Then, then our minds are like wild horses, right? They, they roam here and there and yonder, and, and our mindsets, our goals, our thoughts kind of have to be reined in on purpose, and we have to make a decision where our mind is going to abide, where our thoughts are going to live, Okay, my belief system, uh, where is it going to, uh, uh, to live and, and, and put down roots, right? Because if somebody doesn't have a current dwelling place, a solid dwelling place, they don't have a home, what do we call them? Homeless. People who just drift from here to here and there's no stability in their life. And we can be that way. We can be completely stable physically in a place to live, but, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually be homeless, we don't know what we believe in. And so there comes a point where we have to abide in that, that, uh, that, that belief. And so this is kind of, that sets the tone here a little bit for where we're going with this message. Um, because how many can say, first of all, there's a difference in where you live and where you vacation, right? You can go on vacation and stay somewhere for a little while, but that's not your home. That's not really where you abide. You're just staying there for a little bit. I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, we can, we can get into that spiritual mindset every now and again, right? We can go to church and say, okay, here's what I believe and stuff. But it becomes a vacation place for us because once we leave the church, then we're kind of back to wondering again. But that home, that home is where you're safe. That home is where you're comfortable. That home is where you know who you are and all the people who are in it. And God said, spiritually speaking, I want to get you all into that home, that abiding place in your faith. So in Psalm chapter 91, and I love this, one of my favorite Psalms, I would encourage you to mark it, highlight it, underline it, memorize it, read it often. It's only 16 verses. 
Psalm 91 says, he who dwells in, everybody say dwells. Okay, so not just stops in every now and again, but dwells, lives there. In the shadow or the shelter of the, of the most high will abide, everybody say abide, in the shadow of the almighty. When I dwell in God's shelter, his shadow is always over me. There is never reason to fear. Verse two, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. We can put all kinds of today's headlines and, and scenarios and things that we go through on a daily basis and put it in here. If we're a child of God, we're able to claim these same types of promises. I can say God will cover me. I, I, uh, uh, he delivers me from the fowler. He delivers me from, from the COVID-19, right? There's these things that, that brings fear into the heart of man. And God says, when you abide in the shadow of, of, of the Almighty, you abide in the refuge, you live with me and in me, I have you covered and I have your back. Verse number four, five, sorry. For you will fear, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by the day. You don't have to be in constant fear of, of atomic bombs, nuclear weapons. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, if a nuclear weapon was heading for this building right now, it would just go ding, 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 and bounce off because God wouldn't possibly, I mean, we know that good things happen to bad people. I don't think the promises of God are not necessarily that he's saying none of these bad things are ever going to happen, but he's saying ultimately when you abide under the shadow of the Almighty, even when these things come down upon you, I have your back. Death or life, you're in my hands and you're going to be okay. You know, and we may not know exactly what that's going to look like and all of the, uh, the chaos and the mess around it, but what we, in the core of who we are, in the depths of our mind, we have this assurance, I am going to rest in the midst of all of this. You don't have to fear the terror of night. You don't have to fear terrorists. You don't have to fear the stock market crashing. You don't have to fear the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. You don't have to worry about these murder hornets. That's the newest thing. How many of you have heard about the murder hornets that are out and about? When I first heard it, you know, somebody was like, oh, first corona and then the tornadoes, and now we got these murder hornets. And it's like one thing after the other. I'm like, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, murder hornets, oh my goodness. This is, this is horrible. This is all we need. Murder hornets. That just sounds just tragic. And so I start to, you know, find out what these murder hornets are all about. Come and find out they're just in one little part of the country. And I think maybe, maybe 50 people worldwide die from them every year. And I mean, they're, I mean, I don't want to get stung by one, but it's not like, you know, they're not as bad as these, everybody was trying to make out the murder hornets to be. God's saying, look, don't fear. If you're abiding in me, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that, that means in a second. You have no need to fear these things, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will know only look with your eyes and see the, tech, uh, the recompense of the wicked. Behold, you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Everybody say dwelling place. You haven't made the Lord your vacation place. You visit him on Sunday. You visit him when things get bad in your life and all of a sudden you need him. That's not the kind of abiding God's talking about. God said, I don't want to be, I don't want to be your sugar daddy. I don't want to be your vacation place. I want to be your dwelling place, the place that you live, that you build your life around it. Don't we build our life around our home? 
At the end of the day, no matter where you go today, where's everybody going to leave? Everybody, where's everybody going to end up at the end of the day? Home. That's where we build our life, around home. And that's what Jesus said. I am your dwelling place. I want you to not keep me in your back pocket. I want you to build your life around me. And find me, I will be that dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall fall to, allowed to befall. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels uh, concerning you to give you in all your ways. On their hands they shall bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. How many of you believe in angelic hosts? How many of you, I mean, honestly, you really believe in angels? I hope that you do. I hope that you do. This isn't a message about angels necessarily, but it's important for us to understand that when we abide in this place with God, where we have made him our home, we get all of the goodies that goes with it. And some of the goodies that goes with it is an angelic host that watches over. The Bible says the angel of the Lord camps around those who fear God. We don't see them, yet we know that they are there. That angelic host, lest you dash your foot against a stone. In other words, lest you trip and lest you fall, lest you find yourself into a dangerous situation that the angels would be there to, to protect. How many... Stories maybe you've heard, maybe you've been in situations where you had a, I'm just, you know, I'm just giving some scenarios, but you had a car accident or something happened and you stop and you look at it and you think, man, that, that really, I probably shouldn't have walked away from that. That, that, that was worse than it, than it could have been so much worse. And you recognize that just maybe it was the hand of God, an angel that was there to bring you through. These are the blessings in dwelling within God. Uh, Verse number 13, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot, meaning the things of life that normally destroy anybody won't necessarily destroy the child of God. There's, there's power of God. And again, he's not saying go out, hey, go out and grab your rattlesnake and play with it because you don't have to worry about that. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, well, let me give you an example. We know in, uh, there was a situation uh, with, with Paul, Paul has been basically shipwrecked on this, this deserted island and there's these, you know, aborigine type people, these, uh, uh, you know, village people that are there and they're very superstitious. And so they begin to think that Paul must be cursed by some God because he's been shipwrecked. You know, this, this mentality, because something bad's happened to you, God must have cursed you. And Paul's trying to convince them that's not the case. While they're building up this fire, out of the firewood comes this really poisonous snake and bites Paul. Now, normally, see, these, these villagers, they know what kind of snake that is. And they know that typically when that kind of snake bites somebody, they got about three seconds and they're dead. And so whenever that snake bit Paul, they were like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. This guy's cursed from God. And everybody stands back and just waits for him to plop over. But he doesn't plop over. He just keeps going. He just keeps working the fire. He shakes the fire off, or the snake off into the fire, keeps going, and the poison never, never bothered Paul. And so then they turn their story and it's like, oh, well, this guy must be a god uh, in order for that to happen. The point was this. No, we don't go out and play with poisonous snakes because God's going to keep them from biting us. But the point being, in the, in the course of life, as we're going through life and we're honoring God in everything that we do and we say, God said, I'm going to be there and have your back. Though, a, though an adder, though a snake bite you. God may just reverse the effects of that poison. God still is in the business of doing great, abundantly and above. That's what the word of God says, that he's able to do exceeding abundantly and above all that we think or ask. You know what that means? No, no matter what you think God's able to do for you in your situation, he's able to do better than you even can think. That's an important aspect of our faith that we should cling to. Amen.
Because we hold fast, verse number 14, because we hold fast, you hold fast, excuse me, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There is an awful lot of good promises in that. I hope that as I read the scripture, it doesn't require an awful amount of interpretation. It's, it's pretty plain as to what God is saying to us. Let me, let me back up and read it again. Uh, when he calls to me, this is God's promises to us. When he calls to me, I will answer. Okay, put your name there, Glendella. When, when, I, when I call unto God, when Glendella calls unto God, God will answer Glendella. It goes on, uh, I, will, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So what's the key? We go back just to that 15th verse. It says, when he calls on, or uh, verse number 14, rather, uh, he holds me fast to his love. I deliver him. I protect him because he knows my name. Because he knows my name. God says that one who knows who I am, not just some common knowledge of a being out there who creates stuff, but he knows my name. God says, I want, I'm looking for people who know me, who want to know me, who want to live with me and abide in, with me day after day. When a woman is looking for a husband, she doesn't want somebody that's just going to spend a couple days a week with her. Is that true? Well, I'd like to find me a good husband. Somebody be around on Tuesdays and Thursdays. No. You want a husband that's going to abide with you, live with you all of the time. Share the good times. Share the bad. And God said, that's, that's what I'm wanting. I'm not looking for people that will just go to church on Sunday and Wednesday. I'm not looking for people that will just call on me every now and again when things get bad. I'm looking for people who want me and want to know me every day of their life. Amen? So flip over then. I'm going to kind of flip you a lot here, a couple different places about Scripture. Um, and I just realized I forgot to mark all of them, so I'll have to, I'll flip with you. Uh, in, in John chapter 14, going down along the lines of verse 16. Jesus here speaking to, to his disciples, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. King James says another comforter, which is the Holy Spirit to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be what? In you. I will not leave you as orphans. King James says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world uh, will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he will be who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest or make yourself seen to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And look at this. He, we will come to him and make our home with him. Anybody who believes, I will be in you. You will be in me. I will be in you. Me, the whole 
the wholeness of the Trinity, God says, will come and make our abode with you. See, before Jesus, God was just God out there somewhere, speaking through prophets and men and women. But then comes Jesus on the scene, the Son of God, in flesh, in human flesh. And for the first time ever in human history, God could be seen, he could be touched, he could be felt in the person of Jesus Christ. And so everybody could be with Jesus, but in that moment, it was impossible for Jesus to be in them. They could, they could be with Jesus and live with him for a while, but it was possible for Jesus to be taken away from them, and they found that out quick. When it came to the arrest and the cross, they were no longer abiding with Jesus because Jesus had been taken away from them. But Jesus told his disciples, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified. I, in the body, am going to be taken away. But look here. I, one, will pray to the Father, two, that he will send another comforter, three, the Holy Spirit, that he may come and abide in you. Hallelujah. So God through his spirit abides within us that we might, that when we, when we feel that tugging at our heart to do something and maybe we're, we're maybe compelled to go to see somebody or to minister to somebody, that's the Holy Spirit that's doing that work within us. Or maybe we're tempted to do something that we know we shouldn't do and we're feeling this, this resistance, this conviction. That's the Holy Spirit that's in us. If the, if, if the Lord abides in us, then he's kind of at the steering wheel. Amen? It all comes down to, do I want Jesus in the car or do I want him behind the wheel? Nobody, nobody has a problem with Jesus riding in the car. Most of the time, we'd probably rather keep him in the trunk. I want to go where I want to go. Let's keep Jesus in the trunk. And that way, if I turn, make a wrong turn or if we have a flat or the motor goes down, then we'll, we'll get the crowbar out and we'll, we'll get Jesus out of the trunk. Take the duct tape off of his mouth and put him to work, right? Sounds crazy, but it, we, in a way, the, the way we live our life, we, we kind of have a tendency to treat him that way. But Jesus said, that's, that's not good enough for me. That's not really abiding. To abide is to never even attempt to sit in the driver's seat. It's to go every time you go to the vehicle and you sit in the passenger seat or you get in the trunk and say, Jesus, you're driving this ship. You know what is best and I'm going to fully and completely trust you. I'm talking about abiding in him. Jesus said, if you'll come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, he said, I will give you rest, right? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come in to me. Greater is he that is in you that, than he that is in the world. How can that be? Greater is he that is in you. So what is it that's abiding in you? The Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That means that anything of the world and any one of the world that is coming at us and giving us difficulties that are not filled with the Spirit of God, and we have those, you have the, we have those at work. We have those in our organizations. We may have those in our own home. Whatever be the case, all of the attacks that the enemy brings against us in our life, the promise of God greater is, if, if, we, have, if we have decided to abide in Christ and we have invited him to abide in us, not vacation place, I live here. I live in Christ. Every day, my decisions, I want to be his decisions. 
And if I do that, then I can be assured that what is in me is greater than anything else that the world brings against, brings against me. You remember, forgive me, we're, uh, it's, it's in the book of Acts there towards the beginning. I forget which chapter, but we find where uh, Paul and Silas had been preaching the gospel. And there was a great miracle that took place. I mean, as, as they've been preaching, uh, people were being healed. This one particular instance, uh, this woman that was, had been demon-possessed, they cast the demons out of her, and everybody was all mad. She was making money. Um, she could tell fortunes and all that kind of stuff, so she had these, these masters, I guess, if you will, that were making money on her. So when, when Paul cast the devil out of her, which he could have only done with the power of the Holy Spirit abiding in him, right? The spirit was abiding in him and Paul come and he, he comes face to face with this woman who's been tormented and he cast the demon out of the woman. And when that happened, the Bible says that the, the people who owned the woman were angry and they went and got the cops and they came and they took Paul and Silas and threw them in jail, tied them up in stocks and chains. And, and I mean, we're talking jail. It wasn't a, a jail like we know today, air conditioned and, and, and so on and so forth. It was, we're talking dirt floors, probably one little window, roaches and rats everywhere, dark, dungeony, smelly cell. They throw him in there, and somebody comes along and tells the guard. It's like, these guys, these guys serve that Jesus guy, and there's all, there's all these rumors that Jesus, you know, all these weird things happen when people follow Jesus. No, you know, they heard about Lazarus, no doubt. They'd heard about the blind being able to see. And so they commanded this jailer, put Paul and Silas in the center of the prison. In other words, probably, probably what they would call the hole, no windows, at all. Put them in there so we can make sure that they are abiding in that hole and they can't get out. And so the Bible says that they did, that's what they did. And here we get a picture of Paul and Silas who, but anybody agree that's a pretty miserable experience? I don't care who you are, that'd be miserable. So here they are, in a sense, abiding in this dark dungeon. But that dark dungeon was not abiding in them. Think about it. The outside circumstances were horrible, but the inside circumstances were great. They didn't allow the outside circumstances to determine whether or not they were going to trust God in this whole thing. They knew that something greater was abiding inside them. They had the power of God abiding inside them and greater is in me than he that is in the world. And, and all fear, all worry, they didn't know what was going to happen. They, they could have very well been beheaded, and they knew that. They did not know what the outcome of the circumstances were, were going to be. All they knew is that that one they had abiding in them. They were abiding in the shadow of the Almighty, not the shadow of the prison cell. And so the Bible says that come around midnight, which you would think to be basically about the darkest hour, the worst possible moment, after sitting there and Satan, you know, eating, well, if you were really the men of God you thought you should be, you wouldn't be in this situation. And what's this going to look like? You're going to go out there and testify to these people and, and all of this stuff, because I know how Satan works when he attacks our minds. But suddenly, at midnight, the Bible says that Paul and Silas just begin to sing. Just begin to sing. I don't know what's sung. Maybe, maybe they're saying, my God is awesome, awesome, awesome. What's the next word of that line? Awesome. 
It was probably a song like that. They didn't have to worry too hard about remembering the words. In my mind, maybe in Jesus loves me, in my mind, they just began to sing. I, I don't think the song was gloom, despair, and agony on me. I don't think it was even when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoice. I, I mean, that's a great song, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think it was even so much a song about, okay, this life really stinks, but one of these days I'll go to heaven and it'll all be over. My mind, the song they were singing that brought so much power was, was just a song of praise, a song of glory and honor that kept God at the center, that wasn't so worried about their circumstances, it was the God who was in charge of the circumstance. And they began to sing, and it wasn't even the singing so much, it wasn't even necessarily the song choice, it was the spirit by which they sang. How could they sing in the spirit? Because of what was inside of them. The spirit was in them, and the spirit began, began to come out, and they began to just, I can see them there, man. Their hands probably all locked up, and I can just probably see them raising as much hand as they could, worshiping God. God, you are holy. God, you are mighty. You are our deliverer. We trust you, even in the midst of this. Tears coming down their face, and they're just having church right there in the worst possible way because they were abiding. They knew what it was to abide in Christ and to have the Spirit of Christ abiding in them. And as they just have in church, again, not knowing, they didn't know but what this situation was going to end bad. But in the middle, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In the middle of this praise and worship service, they began to notice a rumbling. They began to notice a shaking. There was a, there was a thundering and there was a vibration in the floors. And as everything began to shake, pop. Stones would begin to pop. The mortar between the stones would begin to crack. Suddenly the, the chains, the bars were rattling and suddenly, pink clink, where the, the, where the bars were attached to the stone, all of it just broke loose and the, the door to the prison just flung open and they looked down, clink, clink, their, their, their uh, uh, chains all fell off and they're sitting there free. So they went from, as they're witnessing God doing a great work, they went from worship being a little bit bound to, be, to worshiping God fully and freely as they, begin, they sit there in front of their own eyes watching God coming through for them. It was all about their relationship with him was a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day thing. There was, no, there was no Jesus flybys in their life. We have a tendency to just do a flyby. I've been there. We'll fly by Jesus when we need him, not... No, not with them. They were in the plane, Jesus flying the ship. Everywhere Jesus went, they went. Amen. <clears throat> he abided there within them, and God delivered them and brought them out in a miraculous way. How do you explain that type of stuff? You can't. Jesus, in, in John chapter 15, I'm not going to read all of this, but in John chapter 15, <clears throat> he, talks, he gives the analogy of, of, a, of a branch and a vine. And a branch, as long as it's attached to the vine, it has to, he said, abide in the vine. If the branch is abiding in the vine, it's connected, okay? It lives there, it dwells there, it stays there, it remains. As long as it's attached, it will bear fruit. But what happens the second that branch is cut off from the vine? What begins to happen to the branch? It begins to die. It is absolutely impossible. If you take an apple tree, 
all these limbs and apples all over it. If you take and cut one of those limbs off, set that limb off over to the side, it is absolutely impossible for that limb to continue producing fruit. The fruit that was on the limb will shrivel and die, and then the limb itself will shrivel and die. The only way that limb can, can thrive and bear fruit and do any good for anybody is to stay attached, abide in the vine. And Jesus gave that entire analogy as a picture of you and I. Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the source. See, the, the vine, the trunk is the source of the limb. It's, it's, it's the, the, the trunk is what gets the limb. It's water, right? The, the trunk pulls the water and the nutrients up from the ground and gets it out to the, to the limbs. And so if that's taken off, it, it perishes. It's a picture of you and I that we, when we are attached, when we are in Christ, we are abiding in him. That he, he gives us life, not just physical life, but spiritual life. He gives, us, he gives us hope. He gives us vision. He gives us passion. Uh, he gives us clarity. He gives us discernment to see what is right and what's not right and, and what we should do. And, and we, we begin to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance and faith, all of this fruit, all of our giftings that God gave us are all at work only when we're attached to the vine. The moment we detach ourselves from Christ and we just kind of take life on our own and go about to do our own thing, we immediately, immediately begin to shrivel. We can't abide unless we're abiding in Christ. Amen. Satan's out there every day with his little hacksaw trying to cut our vine away because he knows that it's certain death if he gets it done. Jesus is just saying, abide, just abide, just abide in me. One thing you find about fruit, this, this should be comforting to us. We have responsibility, obviously, <clears throat> not to be hacking away on that branch that we might separate ourselves from God, but have you ever watched a, a tomato? Uh, you grow a garden and you got a tomato plant. Have you ever watched a big old red tomato on the vine? Have you ever looked down at that tomato and watched it, watched its face going, a little sweat coming down its skin? Okay, and you, and you say to the tomato, what's wrong? What are you doing? I'm just trying to hang on to this vine. Have you ever seen that happen? You look at me like you don't think I've ever seen that happen. You don't see these, these fruits. Just try, oh, God, I've just got to try to hang on. i just got to try to hang on. Because the, the point of the matter is that the vine is hanging on to the fruit, right? The vine is hanging on to the fruit. And so we sometimes get so discouraged. It's like we're just, I'm just trying to hang on another day until Jesus comes. I'm just trying to hang on. If we could realize that God loves you more than you can possibly know, and in God's grace, he's holding you to him. Amen? And that's something. It's not as easy to turn loose of Jesus as you might think it might be. The vine is holding us, providing for us, giving us life, giving us hope, we need to just, what did Jesus say that we needed to do? Abide in the vine. We just need to abide. Abide. Learn to live there. Learn to be at comfort, comfort like we read from those very first scriptures in Psalm 91. Abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Let God do his job. There's not one person in this room that is the Holy Ghost. Uh, there's no demigods in here. 
We are human. We're God's children. We desperately need him to hold us. Amen. And he will. He will by his promise. I've got a, that was about a quarter of my sermon. I'm going to whittle it just a little bit. Paul, in the 27th chapter of Acts, we see a situation where Paul is on a ship and it, they're facing some really heavy winds to the point where they think the ship's going to go down. They're dumping everything overboard. Okay? They think, okay, look, anything of weight or of value, dump it out because the storm was so bad they were afraid they were going to lose the ship and die. And they're dumping all of this valuable stuff out. And so Paul, this man of God, he gets over in the corner of a ship and he just begins to pray. Because how many of you know, no matter how chaotic things get, you can do this, you can do that, you can plan, you can panic, you can get a committee together, you can do all of these things, and, and none of that stuff will really accomplish anything if you haven't prayed. You haven't gone to the one who has the power and the source to meet the need. So while everybody's frantically trying to figure out what to do, Paul goes and prays. He gets a hold of God because he knew what it was. He knew God was abiding in him. And all he had to do was go to God and say, God, here's the situation. What do we got to do? And God speaks to Paul clearly and says to him, Paul, I've got to get you to Rome. That's where he was heading on the ship heading to Rome. I've got to get you to Rome. This ship is going to make it. I mean, I know it doesn't look like it's going to. It's in bad shape. But I promise you, this ship will make it to Rome. And everybody who is on this ship will make it. Everybody will survive. Nobody will die. And so Paul goes to the captain of the ship and he gives this promise that God had given him. By now they're starting to realize that Paul is legit and they're starting to listen to what he has to say. Paul says, I've, I've talked to God and God has promised we'll get this ship to, to Rome and everybody who's on it will survive. And look over on the, the side of the ship. There's some of the, some of the, uh, the uh, sailors are, are getting the lifeboats ready. They're getting ready to lower the lifeboats down off over the side of the ship, and they're going to get in them. They didn't want to go down with the big ship. Let's get in the lifeboats. And Paul looked at all of them and said, no, 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 no. The promise of God is everybody who's in this ship survives. The second you jump out of the ship, you're no longer abiding in the ship. You take out on your own. and You're on your own. No promises there. And Paul was so convincing, they cut off the ropes. I love this. They just, they just cut the ropes of the lifeboats and let them fall in the water. They all, by faith, understood that God was saying to them, if you will abide in my ship, I will get you there. The, stor the storm did not quit. Okay? It was still a scary situation, but the Bible says they all ate. The Bible says that they were all in good cheer. Read it. Acts chapter 27. I'm not making this up. All in a good year. In a ship that normally would be, would be found at the bottom of the sea, yet they are in good cheer because they're living in a promise, they're abiding in a ship that God has promised will make it to the other side as long as they stay abiding in the ship. What a picture that is for all of us, those of us who are in Christ. Those of us who are trusting God, in that God says, look, life is going to throw you and I all kinds of storms. And there's going to be all kinds of temptations to take that lifeboat, to take that other avenue, to decide this isn't good enough. I'm, I'm, God's failing me. I'm going to trust my own. And, and, and the, 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 the promise remains the same. As long as we abide in Jesus, he is the ship. He is the provider. He is the protector. He's our savior. 
and we trust him and we abide in him, he will get us to where we're going. Amen? He will get us to where we're going. There are days that gets a little harder than others, and I get that. But Jesus said, I'll get you there one way or the other. Don't, don't, look, at the, don't look at the circumstances. Look at, look at me. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I just jotted down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this here. I could go another hour, but I, you guys are like, yeah, you're taking this serious. You're going to want us to abide here in this church house for the next hour and a half. I'll, uh, maybe I'll make a copy of my notes and you all can read the rest of them later. Um, I looked at, uh, I was thinking of, of John. John wrote a lot about abiding. Of course, abiding in the vine, that was John's gospel. Um, if you read First and Second John, the little Johns there towards the end of the Bible, he, he writes about abiding in Christ and that closeness. John, um, John was that disciple that when they're all sitting around and eating the Last Supper, that John laid his head on Jesus' breast. Okay, and all the disciples were there, and all the disciples loved Jesus, and they, they knew that they were there, but there was, there was a, uh, how can I say this? They knew that Jesus loved them, they loved Jesus, but there was a little bit maybe of a distance there. How, how, how approachable really is he, maybe? How, how close can I really get? I mean, after all, this is God. But John didn't have that. John was just like, this is God. I'm going to get as close to, to him as I can. And he, he gets up and he lays his head down on Jesus' breast. I mean, he literally laid his head on the chest of God. He wanted to be close to him. He wanted to be so close. He wanted to be any distance. That's one of the ways that I pray. God, draw me closer to you. Let there be nothing that comes between you and me. I want to abide in you and you in me. I don't want to keep you in my back pocket. I want my life to revolve around that, which you have. And when I do that, I, I don't fear. When I'm truly abiding in him, I don't fear. I just abide. There's, there's a sense of peace that just comes. Like, I'm not going to worry about this. We talked about Randy here back in his job. There's just something comes over. It's like, you know what? God's got this, and I'm, I'm not going to worry about it because I, I'm abiding in him, and he's got this covered. We learn we don't, we don't necessarily have to sin. We abide in him. Yeah, we're always going to face temptation, but when we're abiding in God, you'll be surprised about how many temptations you can resist. Amen? Amen. not saying you're going to be perfect. Don't worry. Abide in him. Don't seek earthly treasures. All that stuff's going to rot one of these days anyway. Just abide in him. Don't judge what others do or don't do. I know that's a hard one. Judging what everybody, what other Christians or non-Christians, and well, they're, they're not living for God and everything's going good for them, or they are living for God, everything's bad. Don't, don't judge, don't compare others. Just abide in Christ. Don't get too busy. Abide in Christ. Don't get too religious. Abide in Christ. Do we see the difference this morning, I hope? Not just a religion. Not just a, okay, I read my Bible and I said my prayer today, so I will, and I went to church, so I will check off my list of religious stuff. I've got that out of the way. Now I can kind of do what I want the rest of the week. That's a whole lot different than abiding. Amen? Well, sweetie, I, 
I, I lived with you Monday and Tuesday. I mean, what more do you want? Surely, surely Wednesday through Thursday, I can go live where I want and do what I want to. Is that okay? She said, yes, you all saw her. Right there. <laughs> she'd probably, she'd probably relic. She'd probably relish after, yeah, I'm digging this. It'd be the first time she's ever said amen, ever. Fortunately, I know that she's not really, she don't really feel that way. She likes me to be with her. The Lord knows why, but she does. We sit by each other still on the couch. The kids weren't home the other night. We sat out on the porch. It was nice, wasn't it? Sat out on the porch together. 44 years old, we're getting there. What was I saying? Where was I going with all of that? Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> she started gazing into my eyes and I just lost all my, um, I, I would never say, I, you know, I, I, I'm there on Mondays and Monday through Wednesday, so you shouldn't question why I'm not here Wednesday through, through Friday. That's not how a marriage works. That's not how abiding together works. If you live together, you live together. And uh, it shouldn't work. We should never be satisfied with that in our religious walk. I know Jesus isn't. I know Jesus would say, Lord, I went to church on Sunday. I went to church on Wednesday. I, you know, I, I listened to Caleb on the radio the other day. Uh, you know, we, we, all these things, so it shouldn't really matter. And Jesus said, I'm not really satisfied with that either. I want you to live with me all the time. I want, I want, I want your whole life to be my whole life. Amen. And coming from the person who gave us life, that's not too much to ask. Amen. Stay with me this morning, if you would, please. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Where do you live this morning? Where do you live? Where is your spiritual address? Do you have multiple locations where you live here on good days and you live there on bad days? And, or do you have one spiritual dwelling place? And that address is Jesus Christ. You go back to that dwelling place every day. That's where you eat spiritually and get fulfillment. That's where you go for direction and get the wisdom that you need for everyday decisions. Where do you live today? Bow with me this morning.